Are we? Uh... Cool, excellent. So, I'm John. Some of you guys have probably seen me around. Um, I normally hide up on the balcony, and I started doing that this morning, but it's really quite warm up there, and I didn't want to be too sweaty in front of you all. <laughs> so, that might have gone better in my head. So, as you know, I'm new to this. I have just finished Graham's preaching course, and he assures me that I did not need to dress like a pastor for my first talk, <laughs> and that I did not need to include an acrostic, although this is one that came to mind while I was prepping. <laughs> I'm currently around about this stage. <laughs> but on a serious note, I have found Graham's course incredibly helpful. It has challenged me, and not just because I'm used to talking to children about this height. Adults, turns out, you're quite scary. But I've, it's challenged me because God's challenged me to say what's on in, Sorry. I've been challenged by God what, to say what is put, he has put on my heart. I'm not standing up here telling you all that I've got it right, because I definitely, definitely don't. I'm standing up here to say, this is what God is challenging me currently. And if you guys want to join me in that and join me on that journey, then great. If not, then I'm just talking for myself, and I'm okay with that. <laughs> also, as anyone that can probably see me can tell, I find it quite fitting that my first sermon, the chosen passage, starts off talking about worry, because I am not calm and centered. I am great at worrying. I have a great imagination for my mother. I am quite practical for my father. And therefore, I have a tendency to imagine problems and then to tie myself up in knots trying to figure out the answers to all of the problems. Did I mention my wife is very patient with me? <laughs> so I'd like to thank Tina this morning for reading. You did a much better job than me because I am terrible. In fact, I've asked two willing volunteers sitting at the front, I expect them to be on the balcony, to do a couple of readings later on for me. Now, a good friend of mine once said that if you take the te well, no, he repeatedly said, if you take the text out of the context, you are just left with a con. So with that in mind, and sorry, and I think this counts for double when the, verse, the first verse of the passage we're looking at contains the words, therefore. So therefore, let's go back and start at chapter 12 and look at it all in context. So chapter 12 starts with Jesus surrounded by a large group of followers. Many thousand people are there to hear him speak. But first of all, he starts talking just to his disciples. He, want, he warns them to be on their guard against the yeast of the Pharisees, hypocrisy. He says that nothing is concealed that will not be made known. What you have said in the darkness will be heard in the daylight. What you have whispered in the inner room will be uh, made known. Sorry, what you have whispered in the inner room will be proclaimed from the rooftops. Jesus warns them, do not be afraid of those that can only kill the body, but to fear what happens after you die. Jesus says, whoever acknowledges him before man, the Son of Man will be acknowledged before the angels of God. And then he warns his followers, saying, when you are brought before the synagogues, the rulers, the authorities, do not, be wor do not worry about how you will defend yourself or about what you will say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you at that time what you should say. 
He knows the path ahead for his disciples. He knows that it is not going to be easy. He knows they're going to be persecuted. They're going to be living radical lives. They're going to be changing the status quo, and they're going to be persecuted for it. And that's okay, because it is God's plan and God's plan for them, and they will be with God, and God will be with them through it. In the middle of this teaching about encouragement, some brave soul interrupts Jesus. And I say brave because it would be rude to call him stupid. (laughs) Because, I mean, Jesus is there, many thousands of people, and this guy wants to interrupt Jesus. And for what reason? He says, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus is in the middle of teaching his disciples about how they are living and how they are to live after he is gone. And this guy feels it's more important to get Jesus to tell him to give him the money he is owed. It's a bold strategy. Jesus answers this interruption by challenging everyone. Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not, does not consist of the abundance of his possessions. Now this echoes what Jesus has already said when he's in the desert um, being tempted by the devil, that man does not live by bread alone. And then Jesus goes on to share the following parable, which one of my readers will read. You can say there as well if you want. I didn't want you to. <laughs> okay. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what should I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones, and then I will store my surplus of grain. And I will say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be for those who store up things for themselves, but are not rich towards God. Oh, sorry. Yeah, get the click in the right order. So, which leads us very nicely back to uh, today's passage, which I just want John to quickly reread for us. Yeah, should be. Then Jesus said to his disciples, "Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothes. Consider the ravens." They do not sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn, and yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable are you than birds? Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to your life? Since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? Consider how the wildflowers grow. They do not labor or spin, yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you, you of little faith? And do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it. For the pagan world runs after all such things, and your father knows that you need them. But seek his kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. Do not be afraid, little flock. For your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. 
Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will never fail, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart is also. There's quite a lot in that. So I'm going to break it down and go through section by section for you guys, because I think it helps a lot. First, Jesus says, do not worry. There is so much more to life than what we would, than the world would have us believe. Life is about more than food and clothes. He says to consider the ravens. We are more valuable than birds. They do not sow or reap, but God looks after them. How much more will he look after us? And then he asks, what can worrying do? Now, I firmly believe that worrying is toxic. It takes our sleep, it makes us fearful, it paralyzes us into inaction, and if left unchecked, it will actually drive us away from the very people that can actually help us. So, what does worrying achieve? Nothing. Nothing at all. It does not add to our lives in any way. In fact, I think it robs us twice. In that moment you are worrying, it paralyzes you and you can't do anything. And I'm pretty certain it shortens your life through the amount of stress it gives you. So, consider the lilies. Now, Solomon was the richest man in the Old Testament. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, it says about Solomon, the king made silver and gold in column in sorry, the king made silver and gold as common in Jerusalem as stone. But God is saying that even Solomon, all of that wealth, like Bill Gates plus more wealth level of this world, was not dressed anywhere nearly as finely as God has as God has covered the fields of this land. The grass of the fields that are here today and gone tomorrow, God is capable of doing far more than we can imagine. Jesus then continues, do not chase after food or clothes, but seek first God's kingdom. God knows what we need. He knows what we want, but any, like every good father, he gives us what is best for us according to his words, and for his path, rather than what we demand. I mean, I'm not a father, but I'm pretty certain you don't just give the kid everything that they keep wanting whenever they scream for it, nod from a couple of parents. So, we should seek first God in all things. He then says, do not be afraid. Jesus in this context is talking to his disciples. They are his little flock. They are following Jesus, and therefore need not be afraid because they are walking in step with God's plan for them. Now this next line is gonna make us all feel a bit uncomfortable. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Now again, Jesus is talking to his disciples. He knows the path ahead of them and knows that they are gonna be called to go into this world and share the good news. Therefore, they should sell their possessions because, and just give the money to the poor because they're not gonna need anything with them because God's path is there ready for them. So the question is, should we sell everything and give it to the poor? And that depends. Is God telling you to? No ifs, no buts, no maybes. Is God telling you to? The early church is a very good example in this. And in Acts 4, 32 to 37, which one of my uh, lovely assistants will now read for me, it says the following. All the believers were in one heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possession was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. 
And God's grace was so powerful at work in them all that there was no needy person among them. For the, from time to time, those who owned lands or, sold, or had houses sold them, bought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. Well, these guys did not care so much about their own possessions. They cared about the church as a whole. And when the needs, they would sell what they had and give to that need, trusting that everyone would do the same for them. So should you sell your possessions? Talk to God about that. A treasure in heaven. Jesus then goes on to talk about a treasure in heaven. Invest your money in God's plan, and it will be a better investment than anything we can do on earth. Because everything of this earth is only temporary. Everything on this earth will eventually fade away. And then he gives them, he challenges them saying, where is, where is, your, head, sorry, where is your treasure? Is your, treasure? your treasure will be where your heart is. And this is where the challenge is. We cannot serve two masters. Either we will love God and hate money, or we will love money and rebel against God's plan. So let's go back and have a look at this parable of the rich fool. What would it look like if this guy had followed Jesus' example? So this man has just been blessed with a really good harvest. He realizes that he has far more than he actually needs. Instead of hoarding it all for himself, he chooses to seek God and ask, should I give it to the church? Should I give it to the poor? Should I bless my neighbors with it? Keep forgetting to click, sorry. And um, all of these options would have been far better than what he did. But the very best course of action he could have done was to be actually to ask God and go, what do you want me to do with this? So, Whilst we've spoken a lot about money and that's not very comfortable, I don't think Jesus is limiting himself to just talking about money, which makes this worse. (laughs) How we spend our time is just as important as how we are spending our money. What is more important to us, our our time or God's kingdom? In fact, I'm challenged more regularly about how I am spending my time than anything else. How we spend our so at the end of a terrible day, after the worst week on record, when all we want to do is curl up and shut out the world, are we willing to die to ourselves and serve God? To meet with God's children? With your brothers and sisters in Christ to support them? Putting aside your own issues and helping with theirs? And believe me, that is not easy. So, as Rich said, this, today's, this summer's program is about treasure. And to me, treasure in heaven seems like a really odd concept. Like, why would I need treasure in heaven? Surely in heaven I'm going to have everything I could possibly need. So what do we mean by treasure in heaven? I think 1 Corinthians chapter 3 may hold the key for this. By the grace God has given me... I laid a foundation as a wise builder, and somebody else is building on it. But each one should build with care, for no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. 
If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay or straw, their work will be shown for what it is, because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss, but yet will be saved, even though only as one escaping through the flames. Now this is Paul talking, um, the, Paul, the Apostle Paul's talking to the, uh, and speaking about how he's done some work in people's lives. He's planted seeds, then somebody else is going to come along and water those seeds, and that's actually going to grow the kingdom of God. Now, I don't know about you, but the idea of standing before God with my whole life's work being on display right next to me and watching as it is tested with fire scares me. To see what my amount, all my hard work in this life, all my Christian work in this life has actually amounted to when it's just withered down by fire to what was actually pleasing to God is not comfortable. But at the end of that trial, being able to come before God and present to him what has been good and pleasing and righteous to him, now that is a treasure I want to pursue. To make it clear, I think that the easiest way to understand treasure in heaven is to think of it as things and acts that God values, things that bring glory to God. So. How do we build a treasure in heaven? First of all, it has to be built on the cornerstone of Jesus. Now that's very Christianese, so I'm gonna break that down a little bit. To gain treasure in heaven, the root reason for what we are doing must be solely based on our love of Jesus. It must be because we want to honor him and not ourselves. It must also be a part of God's plan and not ours. In everything we do, we must first seek God and be led by him into what he wants us to do. And because we are being led by God, then we do not need to worry. If he is telling us to give up our money or our car or anything along those lines, if it is part of God's plan, he is not going to leave you stranded in that. So, how much of what we love will actually last into the everlasting? Will our money, will that TV box set we're so fond of watching? Will our sports teams? Will our holidays? Will our jobs? Will our friends? Will our family? So in closing, as the worship team comes back up, I have one of two questions for you guys to consider. If you already know Jesus, sorry, if you do not know Jesus, would you like to? Would you like to set aside the worries of this world and instead focus on the one that grants eternal peace? The trouble in your life will not disappear. But I can assure you that in trusting, by trusting in God, the hard times in my life have become manageable. And my second question is, if you're already following Jesus, in this Is it not time that we stopped hoarding our wealth and started investing into God's plan? To start investing our lives into God's plan and bringing about his kingdom. To actually use the resources we have been given in this country 
to actually bring about his will and his, his glory. If the answer to either of these questions are yes, then please come forward, and myself or the prayer team will be more than happy to pray with you guys.